The Start On Demand. On demand. Louis Riel's school division is having to shift some students from one school to another to meet its requirements for COVID-19. We'll get the lowdown from the principal of one of those schools and the division superintendent. The debate rages on. To mask or not to mask? We'll check in with the UFCW to find out how it's going in some grocery stores. Today is International Overdose Awareness Day. We'll speak to a man whose son took his own life as a result of his addiction. And that thunderstorm on Sunday, depending on where you were, was as loud a storm as we've ever heard. So, we chatted about thunderstorm memories. I'm Brett McGarry, alongside Greg Mackling and Loren McNabb. We are Mackling, McGarry and McNabb. This is the Monday, August 31st podcast for The Start. Mackling, McGarry, and McNabb, 12 degrees. So is that it? Saturday was a glorious day. <laughs> and then, like, snap, it was cold and stormy and gloomy. It could be it. <laughs> it could be it, at least for a little while. I suspect we'll get a little bit of a bump at some point in September. But if you look like at the long-term forecast for the next couple of weeks, it's low 20s and some single-digit overnight lows. So... Yeah. yeah, I think summer summer is uh, preparing. It's packing its bags, McNabb. It's almost like you can smell it in the air, right? You can feel it coming. Like that shift just happened so quickly. I was sleeping in a tent on Saturday night with a toucan, and I think to myself, what am I doing? <laughs> like I know it's summer, but this isn't summer. So it was just such a dramatic shift from those warm nights that were almost too warm where you were barely outside to, nah, forget it, we're moving on. <laughs> yeah, I'm wearing jeans today. I wore jeans and a, and a jacket. You know, like it, lately it's been maybe I'll bring my hoodie because sometimes it's still a little chilly in the morning, but I've, I, I've been wearing shorts every day. I know we have some guys in the building who will wear shorts until there's snow on the ground. Cam Portress is one of them and uh, Tom Milroy is the other. Uh, Milroy puts those shorts on in like March. Oh yeah, there, there's no stopping the shorts conversion. Uh, I have a buddy that refuses to wear an overcoat after April 1st doesn't matter what the temperature is. I'm not wearing a coat after April 1st. He pays the price for that. I don't know what the start date is for the overcoat. I'll have to I'll have to text him. He might need it today. Yeah, the only thing I I do I do enjoy wearing a jacket for the sense that I have ex- suddenly have extra pocket space. Oh, that's great. That's all you need is more places to lose things. <laughs> Uh, well, let's ask Loren now, because Loren, you're always losing stuff in your purse. Do pockets complicate matters when it comes to losing stuff? No, I don't. I weirdly don't put a lot of things in my pockets. It's the purse equation and switching purses where you suddenly pull something else out and you're thinking, well, there you are. Isn't that nice? Like I found pesos the other day in my purse and I pulled them out from a trip ages ago. Like, what am I going to do with those? You never know. You just, just got to keep those because you don't know when someone might be, got any pesos? Yeah. Yeah. yeah, I do. So. Well, and hey, when it comes to the the, the shift in weather, I mean, it, it all, maybe it's like overnight because it's back to school week for many. Well, that could be it. Uh, back to school tomorrow for teachers and many faculty and staff as they get prepared for what's to be the most unusual school year maybe ever. 
at least in the last hundred years or so, as we look at, uh, well, the plan that my kids, one of my kids' uh, schools handed out on Friday. Loren, I don't know where you're at, but we found out Friday that one of the boys will be going to school half days in the mornings, Monday through Friday, and then uh, it'll be online learning in the afternoon. That's for the first semester. And then they're already talking about January where they will flip things. So grade 9 and 10 will go in the morning, first semester, in the afternoon, second semester. Mm -hmm. Grade 11 and 12 will do the opposite. So they've essentially cut the in-school population in half when they have in-classroom studies. Yeah, they've made a lot of changes to the schools. We got our schedule as well. My kids are doing staggered starts for that first week. Uh, we know that's the case in many school divisions. Uh, we're bringing on the Louis Riel School Division at 8.30 to not just talk about how those staggered starts could potentially take you know a 10-day period to try to move kids in and out before they finally align, but they're also shifting kids around, right, to figure out, okay, well, we don't have enough room in this school for the social distancing, so kids might have to go to a whole other school. So there are huge conversations taking places in homes with many parents, and and on top of that, Red River College goes back to class today. So if this is your first year, you know, you just graduated last year, graduation wasn't what it's supposed to be, and now that rite of passage for so many to step onto campus and feel like the big man on campus isn't happening in many programs, right? So many of those have moved online. So if you're heading back to class today in, for Red River College, back to U of M later this week, if you're a teacher going to school tomorrow, man, there is a lot on your plate right now. So lots to discuss on back to school today. And as well, we are going to talk about a, a change in messaging, Loren, when it comes to COVID-19 in Manitoba. Yeah, and I think, guys, we talked about this a few weeks ago when the province launched this ad campaign that was trying to direct Manitobans to places, websites they could go for more information on restarting the economy. And now those ad campaigns have shifted slightly because obviously we've had these cases rise, 90 cases between Saturday and Sunday in Manitoba. And so the the ad campaign has now got different words being used on those digital billboards. And it's also when it directs you to those websites on economic recovery and different programs, you can ask, access the first bit of information now is about the different codes, you know, code yellow, code orange or whatnot that might be taking place in this province. And so they're kind of taking a look at it. I would read into that saying, yes, the economy needs to restart, but people still clearly need more information because, man, those numbers are not looking good. Yeah, they've gone from ready, safe, grow to know the facts. Right. And so that slogan has obviously changed a shifting message in terms of how we're supposed to be viewing Manitoba and its relationship with COVID-19. Manitoba leading the country in cases per capita, and it's it's sort of by a long shot. And if you do that calculation per capita, it's like we have 10 times the cases of Saskatchewan right now. And I'm not sure what we can, uh, tie, how we can justify or what that ties back to. It, it seems absolutely bizarre that that would be the case. And the know the facts thing, I think, is, that's an interesting choice of words because part of the, the, the whole mask debate is the messaging on masks has been confusing right from the start. No question. And no it. one seems to know the facts. Uh, you know, people, we have people texting us all the time, pointing to various health organizations saying, ah, oh, well, if you don't have symptoms, maybe you shouldn't wear a mask. And so I don't know. I just, I, I mean, more places are moving to mandatory masks. So I've always got one in my pocket now. And I actually recently ordered a, fa- a tie-dye face mask from the Peg Authentic uh, local company. So I'm excited about that. Never thought I would say those words. I'm excited 
for my face mask to arrive. Uh, but we'll talk more about that coming up at 6.37. And then at 6.45, we're going to talk about thunderstorms because yesterday, as you know... Sound like cannon fire outside. Cannon my- <laughs> to the left of them. Cannon, cannon to, to the, the right, right of them. them. It was at my dad's yesterday. I smashed Gordon's place, and wow, that was a boomer of a storm. Mackling, McGarry, McNabb, and by the way, welcome back, Jeff Forte, after a week off. How are you, buddy? Oh, I'm good. I'm good. It was nice to see you walk in this morning, although, I mean, it's not like we didn't have a good time with producer Kyle last week, but it's good to have you back in the fold, buddy. So this is the sound that I was able to capture on video yesterday at my dad's. Sounded like cannon fire. No, it was the thunderstorm. I don't know how loud this was where you were, but uh, where we were in Transcona, uh, the reverberations off of all the houses in the back lane was insane. The house was shaking. There's one point where my dad got up, he went to his room for something, and then I heard just, it sounded like he knocked something over because I heard this crash, bang, boom. And uh, was that the name of the Hall Hollow Notes album? Or was that Big Bam Boom? Anyway, uh, from the album. <laughs> Sorry, from the I can't help you on that one. <laughs> no, one with the out of touch on it. I think it's Big Bam Boom. But uh, I said, finally said, "Are you? What was that? Are you okay?" And he he didn't knock something over. He didn't. He says, "I don't know what that was." So we went and checked in, in uh, my mom's old room, and a picture had fallen off the wall. That house was shaking so much it knocked a picture off the wall and destroyed the frame. So we wanted to talk about thunderstorms and thunderstorm memories. We're getting texts already at two zero four seven eight zero sixty eight sixty eight. We got Skylar Peters in for Kelly Moore. We got Jeff Fortier, Jeff Braun, JB, Jeff Braun. Why don't we start with you, bud? Oh uh, yeah, that one yesterday was insane. That was I heard one clap of thunder that must have been the loudest clap of thunder I'd ever heard. But I don't have any. I don't remember any other storms. But that one yesterday, it literally, I stood up when I heard it and ran outside because I would have sworn that something right near me got hit by lightning. It was that loud. And then uh, after that, I missed the rest of the storm because I went and took a shower and missed all the excitement. But Oh, what? <laughs> you can wait 10 minutes? Okay, hold on. You ran outside? That was your instinct when you heard the thunder? <laughs> well, to see if lightning had hit anything. Wow, uh, look at your yeah. news nose uh, right at the top of uh, all your priorities. <laughs> and I had just gotten home from taking a walk. I go for a walk every day, and I stepped foot outside at the beginning and looked to the what west and saw the sky i was like oh this will be a short one and i got a half hour in and i, I timed it as soon as i got back two minutes later the sky opened up so i'm proud of how i judged that but mm, weather yeah. prognosticator and news anchor pretty good go. jeff pretty yeah. good what about you forte were you, were you able to watch it from your balcony yeah actually i was sitting on my balcony and some of the things i really really love is when you see that lightning bolt come straight down because you know i can see just over the trees but you can see the lightning bolt come from right from the sky right to the ground and you just see that big bright bolts of lightning and then you just wait for a few seconds and you get that big boom and it was so it was so thundery is that a word it is now it is now uh thundered so hard yesterday that like in my concrete building i could still hear you know stuff like shaking and like you know buzzing you know that buzzing sound when uh something shakes yep it was crazy yeah, I was kind of, I was happy, of course, to be visiting my dad, but I thought, man, this would have been a good one to see. Because I, I haven't seen a full-blown thunderstorm yet from my balcony on the 16th floor. Uh, I've seen lightning and thunder, and heard thunder, but I have not just sat through a full storm. And I mentioned the dog. 
uh, that I was talking about. I, I house sat for with his dog once, his big, grumpy German shepherd. His name was Norman. I always called him Stormin' Norman. And he barked at everything. He wanted to show the whole world who's boss. But when there was a thunderstorm, <laughs> I was sleeping, and that dog came into the bedroom and climbed up on the bed and nuzzled mm-hmm. up right beside me. Took He needed me to, like, hold him. Hold me. Just hold me, Tough Brett. Guy. Yeah, he was cute, <laughs> but also, like, aren't you supposed to be a big, scary dog? Mm-hmm. <laughs> the truth was found. Did you get out of the tent in time yesterday? Oh, Moran? yeah. It's funny. We had a beautiful day Saturday, super windy Sunday, and we were in Nopaming Provincial Park. And it was only on the drive back that we were hit with any rain and I actually didn't even see I saw a few bits of lightning but nothing too insane my my craziest storm I ever went through most recently was about a few years ago when I was sitting at home I had just put the kids to bed and they were a little younger and uh it started raining and then I heard Jeff you mentioned you know that, that the, it seems so loud that you're sure something has been hit well let me tell you when it's that close you there is no doubt in your mind as soon as this lightning and and thunder sort of exploded in the sky i looked out and about four houses down the roof of my neighbor's house had been clearly been hit by the lightning and i don't know what you're supposed to do in that circumstance and i didn't know them they're in kind of they're back like three yards back but you can see the house and so i grabbed the fire extinguisher extinguisher and ran over to the neighbors the, the person right next door and yelled the people behind you, their house is on fire. And so he grabbed my fire extinguisher, jumped into his kid's like playhouse and was trying to get their attention. And they came out and looked kind of up at the roof. And then obviously they had either knew or had already called 911 because the fire department was there not long after. But there, once when it happens that close, there's that's when you really know the difference between, huh, that felt like it was close. And yep, that was like <laughs> right in the backyard But it, because it was intense. I've actually heard of a story of somebody's, a tree right outside the house getting hit by lightning. And then mm-hmm. their radio, which was unplugged, it was in the closet, started going off. It was working without being plugged in. Really? Yeah. Like it charged its battery or something? Yeah. Crazy. That is weird. Skylar Peters, we got about 45 seconds left. What about you, bud? Well, I won't even need half of it because uh, I was uh, working yesterday and I had no idea the storm was going on. I thought it was just a <laughs> rainstorm. I don't know. Like, I'm in the south end and I know, uh, like, it maybe wasn't that bad out in that area. Like, I just kind of, I heard, like, the odd thunderclap when I left here at noon. And uh, when I went back into my neck of the woods, it uh, was just kind of raining and that was it. So I. I mean, and I don't have any crazy uh, thunder stories. We have a tin roof at the cabin, though, and that's the best thing ever, too. So um, oh. that's that's a lot of fun. And I, I also uh, grew up right by train tracks, so I sleep through everything. Oh, look at that. The more noise, the better, probably. Yeah, right? I, bet you, I bet you you can't sleep when it's quiet. No, uh, I can't sleep when it's cold, and I can't sleep when it's quiet. Honestly. You can't need... sleep when it's cold? Oh, I no. love it when it's cold. No, nope. oh, hate man. it. Mackling, McGarry, McNabb, talking about thunderstorms after that big, loud storm yesterday. Wow, it was loud. Tina D, where I was talking about how I sat for house sat and took care of Storm and Norman, big burly German shepherd who was a huge baby when there was a thunderstorm. Well, Tina D says, normally our dog couldn't care less with storms or fireworks. Yesterday, though, was not normal. We were out, so our husky slash shepherd was in her room. Yes, she has her own room. (laughs) (laughs) Of course. Yes. And when we got home, I couldn't open the door to get into her room. Turned out she ripped the carpet up, 
trying to get out. Now we have an unexpected house project. Uh, I have a friend who, I don't, I don't know if a dog ate its way through its door, but during a thunderstorm while they were at work, they came home and there was a giant hole in the door of the room that their dog slept, slept in during the day and hung out in because the storm just set it into a tailspin and it's tried to get fight its way out like chew its way out because it was so frantic so ripping up the carpet like it's like is there a hole can i dig a hole can i get out of here that's their instinct right yeah sure that makes sense how about this story from val she says years ago i was playing softball in a women's industrial league we were playing a game when a line of dark clouds was approaching us the sun was still shining where we were But the line of clouds was ominous. I was playing left field, and I felt my hair stand up. Yes, stand up. I called time out from left field. The ump called time. I ran in and told the ump and the other team what had happened. And they said, no, it's not raining, so we play ball. I said, well, I'm not playing. They replaced me with another player in left field, and the game went on. When everyone was in position, the ump called play ball just as he did. A bolt of lightning hit the ground between first and second base. Oh, my gosh. I can't use the word she said next. We all ran for shelter. Yes, the game was canceled. And I will bet that ump never let a game go on like that again in his (laughs) career. There was not a drop of rain that fell upon us. Wow, that is harrowing, Val. Thankfully, everyone got away from that safely. Keep your stories coming, 204-780-6868. And the question of the day at cjob.com, brought to you by Credit Aid, helping Manitobans get out of debt since 1992. Visit creditaid.ca, call 204-987-6890. Question of the day that went up Friday afternoon. Movie theaters are hoping to get a boost this week from Tenet, the first big film event since the shutdown. Are you ready to go back to the movies? 65% say, I'm done with the movies until there's a vaccine. 17% say, maybe when our numbers start going down. 14% say, I'm all in, open them up. And 5% say, yes, but only for certain movies like Tenet. And uh, it did give, it opens in the States this upcoming weekend, but internationally it did give a boost. I think it made over 40 million bucks, including here in Canada. I saw the movie, by the way, on Friday. I gave up on it 30 minutes in because I couldn't understand the dialogue. It was just muffled. It was a bad sound mix. And it was such a confusing movie that if you can't follow that plot, then you're out. You need to wait until you can watch it on Netflix with the subtitles on so you can get all the dialogue. Exactly. So that's what I'm going to have to do because it was otherwise just incomprehensible nonsense. So, But the the action was cool, but the movie was uh, so confusing. Uh, Get Jeff's review on the Couch Potatoes podcast, by the way, anywhere you find podcasts. Now, when it comes to masks... Uh, I mean, I'm seeing a lot more masks and uh, the the debate, of course, rages on. We're getting angry text messages from people saying, why are you wearing a cloth mask? Can't you think for yourself? And then on the other side, of course, you've got the the people on social media pounding their fist on the table. Just wear a damn mask. So it's it's still a heated debate. But uh, I'm personally, Greg, seeing a lot more masks out there these days. And I'm wearing mine uh, more and more often. As well, and as we mentioned in the last hour, that IKEA here in Winnipeg is making masks mandatory as of today. This decision was made after it shared on its website that one of its employees had tested positive for COVID-19. The store was closed yesterday for what they called a deep cleaning, and now IKEA says masks will be required at its Keniston
and location they're in. Yeah, we know Superstore had made that decision. So you see that in Winnipeg, Walmart, of course. And then there's the mandatory mask uh, situation in the Prairie Mountain Health region, which, of course, is Brandon, Melita, Verdon, Clear Lake, Dauphin. Masks became mandatory in that area of western Manitoba one week ago today. And so we wanted to check in to see if people are complying, if customers are complying, and how staff in many of those stores in that region, and even here in Winnipeg where some stores have mandated masks, are dealing with customers who might not be complying. Jeff Treger is the president of UFCW Local 832, and they, of course, represent many grocery store staff in this province, and he joins us now. Good morning, Jeff. Good morning. Thanks for taking the time for being with us. As we mentioned, one week ago today, masks were mandatory in the Prairie Mountain Health region. What are you hearing from staff there in terms of how it's been going so far? Well, uh, most of the staff in the grocery stores are, are welcoming it. Uh, as you uh, just said, Superstore has also uh, made masks mandatory across all stores in Canada as of August the 29th. Um, and some customers, you know, uh, from what we hear from our members, have been really great and understanding. Others simply are not. Um, so probably a good time to remind people that we're all in this together and uh, be kind and listen to the uh, the advice of public health. You know, try to shop one person per family. Uh, it's not really a family affair. Understand that some people may need to bring their kids grocery shopping because they don't have a childcare option. But, uh, you know, we're told right now that about 99% of the people are wearing masks, so they're turning away very few people who are refusing. Jeff, lots of layers to this. You mentioned the whole idea of leaving your kids at home. And I think maybe some of us are going to the grocery store more often than we were several months ago. And in a conversation with friends yesterday, it was like, you know, maybe we need to just think a little bit more about where we're going. The idea of going out for browsing, uh, maybe not the smartest thing right now, and maybe just have to reevaluate how we're doing. Here in Winnipeg, I'm sure you know that the uh, the use of masks has become mandatory on Winnipeg transit buses, as well as in civic facilities and buildings. The ATU is in favor of the masks, but at the same time, they don't want to be in charge of enforcing this. Are, are you running into the same thing in your facilities with your employees where they're kind of caught in the middle in terms of mask wearing enforcement? Yes, a couple of things on that. I mean, Safeway uses uh, security guards, so a third-party security guard to enforce the uh, uh, wearing of masks in their stores, but Superstore is using our members, their employees, and so far that's gone fairly well, but obviously you can imagine there's some uh, inappropriate exchanges between people when they don't want to wear a mask. And just speaking on the uh, bus piece, we represent the uh, school bus drivers for Winnipeg School Division Number 1, and we're having the same conversations right now uh, with them about uh, we understand and appreciate uh, all of the protocols that are being put in place on the buses, but it should not be on the bus driver to be the person to actually enforce the rules. Uh, So we're looking for an additional staff person to be assigned to make sure that the kids stay in their seats, uh, stay six feet apart, and uh, keep their masks on. When it comes to the uh, keeping distance, like we mentioned earlier, one of the things we're noticing when we go shopping, at least I've noticed it and I think Lorenz noticed it, is that with people who are wearing masks, they don't seem to be adhering to the physical distancing. And uh, one of our listeners said too, yeah, when I'm standing in line, if somebody behind me is not wearing a mask, they'll keep their distance. But a lot of times people wearing masks are right behind me. Uh, So have your staff noticed anything like that from people coming into the shops? 
Yes, there's been a lot of customers that have been reminding other customers to uh, maintain that distance, and a lot of our staff are also uh, having to do that, especially when they're lining up to get to the tills. That seems to be where people will pile onto one another a little bit too closely. And, you know, um, all I'd have to say about that at the risk of sounding like Dr. Rusin would be remember the fundamentals here, wear your mask and keep six feet distance. Yeah, there's lots of for people to take in here because you mentioned in store, Safeway has an, a third-party security guard, Superstore uses staff, uh, Jeff, and then on your school buses, you're looking for uh, another p- person to come onto those buses and, and help make sure kids are doing the right thing. Are we really that concerned that young kids are, are going to not pay attention to that rule, or is it really more about that the school bus driver has too much on their plate to watch with road safety to also be thinking about the mask equation and making sure kids are keeping that mask on when they're sitting in their yeah. boats? Yeah, so it's a little bit of uh, both, I would say. I would say that first and foremost, the uh, purpose or the the focus of the bus driver has to be on road safety and making sure they're watching what's going on and making sure they're uh, operating the bus safely. So that's number one. And, uh, you know, when they're driving a lot of the time in rush hour traffic or uh, in areas in uh, um, areas where there's lots of kids around, they have to keep their eyes on the road at all times. Uh, and the second thing, I, I think that there's certainly at least a possibility. You know, I remember not necessarily following all the rules when I was a kid. Um, and so I'm pretty sure that there are going to be occasions where kids are going to try to move around on the bus or they're going to try to, uh, uh, you know, take their mask off. Um, I think that it's not realistic to think that the bus driver uh, can be the one to manage that while they're also operating the vehicle. Jeff, there might be some out there, some parents and and some of us who rode the bus back in the day saying maybe there should be a chaperone on the bus all the time, COVID times or otherwise. Yeah, absolutely. And you've heard uh, ATU talk about wanting to have uh, people uh, on the buses uh, traveling with uh, public transport and uh, certainly with schools. That's our position right now is that there should be a person, literally, as you said, a chaperone who's uh, keeping an eye on the kids, making sure that they are following all the protocols, keeping their masks on, and the bus driver can focus on what bus drivers do, which is drive the bus. Jeff Traeger is president of UFCW Local 832. Loren, do you have any final questions before you wrap Just up? one final thought, because I actually wasn't aware that you represented UFCW, represented the school bus drivers, Jeff. And so where are those conversations at in terms of additional? Is that going to have to go from division to division and trying to get that extra person on the buses? Well, uh, QP represents a large number, and UFCW represents about 95 bus drivers. And we're having discussions with the uh, school division about that. As you can imagine, there's uh, not a lot of real manageable information coming out right now. Uh, a little concerned that we're going to get to September 8th. And, you know, you've heard parents say they don't really know what the rules are going to be around schools and buses. And i got to tell you, at this point, we're not sure either. We've expressed our concern to the division. Um, and we uh, coincidentally are in the middle of negotiations with them and have some communications going on related to that. So we're trying to get an answer before Uh, so our bus drivers know what the expectation of them is once uh, school opens. Jeff, thank you so much for joining us this morning. We appreciate the time as always, sir. No problem. Thank you so much for having me. Have a good day, guys. Mackling, McGarry, and McNabb, another M-word, mask. And it's the subject 
of much debate and has been for several months now. And we're getting all kinds of feedback at 204-780-6868, as we always do. And this is interesting, uh, Loren, a uh, text from Tyler uh, pertaining to uh, part of the province where you have spent a lot of time this summer. Tyler says, I just got back from a weekend at Clear Lake for a golf bachelor party. I ventured into town one day for a short drive. Uh, the town was packed and probably only about half of the people had their masks on. Yeah, and there's lots of little shops and restaurants uh, in Wasegamine, in the town of Wasegamine, that uh, you'd be required to at least put the mask on when you go inside. And then depending on the rules in that restaurant, when you sit down, you can take it off. But I, it gets us back to that enforcement question. If you're running a little shop and you're the only person running that store, and now you're trying to ma- control the amount of people who are coming in and out of it, you haven't had the best economic season because of the start, how things started with COVID-19 in the spring. And now you're trying to figure out how to mandate masks, keep people in and out and make sure you're complying with all the rules, but you're one person or maybe just two people in the shop. It becomes a really hard mathematical equation in terms of your bottom line to figure out, well, now do I hire a third person whose job it is to enforce all this and, and to keep customers out? And on the other hand, man, you're told to put on a mask. Like, Why, why would the compliance be only half from what he's seen in Clear Lake over the weekend. So that's a pretty infuriating text, Brett. Well, a, tech, a, a trip to Wasagaming isn't exactly an essential sort of part of life, right? It's a, it's a little bit of a luxury. You're on vacation. I get that. Uh, but you don't have to go into the shops. You don't have to go into the restaurants. And if you're going to do that, you should be following the rules. And I think part of the challenges for these retail operations is the fact that the regulations are not necessarily crystal clear in terms of what do you need to do? What do you need to provide in terms of someone at the door giving a seminar if they need to in terms of what's going on in the store? And if you don't like it, you can't come in. And uh, yeah, you're right, Loren. I think if you're operating a retail operation or restaurant, if you don't have to do it, you're going to do it as inexpensively as you can. And uh, one of our listeners is a school bus driver weighing in on that topic. I'd like to read this, if I may. Good morning. I'm a school bus driver, and I would love nothing more than to see an extra person on my bus to help monitor the students. However, I think it comes down to funding that extra position for on the bus, which may not be in the divisional budgets, not to mention the fact that we have a very hard time finding drivers already. So it might be hard to get people to fill these positions. So there you go. Two very different services, two very different functions in our society as similar concerns about enforcement. And well, we, the, oh, go ahead, Loren. Well, I was just going to say schools are already scrambling with so many things that they need to alter for their school year in terms of class sizes and bringing people in and trying to figure out where everyone goes and lines and all the rest that that the school bus equation might just stick as it is right now you'll have to wear them on the buses but i i'm doubtful they'd be able to find extra staff members for enforcement whereas in some of those bigger grocery stores we just heard jeff Traeger of ufcw say well some of the stores like safeway they have a third-party security guard that's in charge of compliance well they can afford I would think, to do that, right? And so it might just be coming down to a a cash question, Brett. And we had somebody texting us something, for example, from 2015 on the subject of cloth masks. Are they good or bad, uh, dangerous to the health? And and they were asking the question, like, so is it fake news all of a sudden that we're promoting or that the province is recommending, suggesting that you wear a cloth mask or at the very least a cloth mask when physical distancing is impossible? And they're asking, well, if it doesn't, prevent you from getting sick, but it 
prevents others from getting sick, then what's the point? And I said, look, I'm not a doctor. (laughs) If I have to wear a mask to get into a store, I'll wear a mask. Um, But otherwise, I just try to keep my distance. Well, and that study that that listener sent to us had to do with healthcare workers wearing cloth masks and wearing it for a majority of the day. Nobody's saying you have to wear a mask all day long, just certain times of the day in certain places. You got to keep it clean. There's some things that you need to do to maintain them, to to protect yourself from things that might happen. It's just like any other form of clothing. I don't know about you, Brett. I don't know about you, Loren, but I only wear my underwear once and then it goes in the laundry. So think about that. You, you obviously need to keep these clean, clean and rotate them out. Yeah, that's why I got to buy more masks. I'm looking forward to that tie-dye mask from the peg. If somebody knows where I can get a Spider-Man mask, by the way, let me know. 204-780-6868. Today, we want to pause to remember those who have lost their lives to drug overdose. According to the Canadian Institute for Health Information, 12,800 Canadians died from apparent opioid-related overdoses between January 2016 and March 2019. And we're still looking for numbers for this year, but we know there's been concerns that overdoses are on the rise during this pandemic. And whether the deaths are accidental or intentional, it's safe to say they have incalculable economic and human toll damage. It is, of course, the loved ones of those who lose their battles who are faced with answering the how and the why questions, Greg, surrounding the loss of those who leave us far too soon. Yeah, today is International Overdose Awareness Day, a day which has become incredibly important to our next guest. Rodel Batista lost his son Gabriel on July 29th, 2018. He has been creating awareness in an effort to help others ever since. Good morning, Rod. Morning, guys. We really appreciate what you do and the fact that you're prepared to take time for us on this day uh, means a lot. This has to be fresh for you still. You know, I have to ask, Rod, why are you so willing to share this story about what amounts to your family's struggle to help your son get the help he needed? Um, I share the story because our ultimate um, goal is is to try to make sure that other families don't suffer. Uh, unfortunately, though, every day we hear of new stories of uh, people who have um, who have overdosed or died because of their addiction, and um, there's twofold. Um, we want to be available for people who are struggling, for other families who are going through um, the same things that we went through, um, connect them to the network that that we've um, we've you know, come to know over the last few years, the people that have supported um, all the families that have that have lost a loved one and the organizations that are here to support people that are, you know, that are going through the struggle as well. So the more discussion we have, the more people know about our story, uh, the more people are willing to share and come out with their struggles and their struggles with their with their family members. Rod, uh, and we've recently learned that uh, drug use is on the rise during the pandemic. Overdoses uh, seem to be on the rise as well. Uh, have, is that the kind of thing that you're you've been hearing from people in your circle? Yeah, you know, and it, it, it all makes sense. Like during this pandemic, pandemic, we've been asked to isolate. We've been asked to socially distance. 
Um, and that's one of the key factors to addiction is is a person that feels isolated, right? So when somebody feels isolated and doesn't have the human interaction that everyone um, seeks, then they look to bond with something or some substance, right, to make them feel better. And that's that's basically one of the you know key factors of, of addiction. So um, if community is recovery, isolation is addiction, and um, you know the numbers are staggering, right? Like just in June and July, there were somewhat over 300 overdoses where uh, naloxone was administered by the paramedics. So that's just in in two months, July and June. There are about 600 administrations of naloxone uh, from the beginning of the year. So, and I I I, I can only see the numbers spiking. Um, people are struggling, and you know, like create awareness and make posts. Uh, you know, because people know people that are going through the struggle. They know of someone, or they know of someone's family member, and now's the time to reach out, make a phone call, send a text, and just just check on people and be available for them, just to listen, to talk in any way, any way, shape or form that you can, right? We have to come together now. We have to show community without the ability to do it in, in, in a lot of ways, right? So it's affected a lot of things. Like today, uh, every uh, 31st, there, there's been a, an awareness walk that Chad Cosson has put on in memory of his uh, sister, Jenny, and um, that had to be postponed, and we're doing it virtually this year. So there's a lot of things around the community that we take for granted that, that happen on an everyday basis that isn't happening right now because because of the pandemic. And it's affected people with, um, with addiction and who are struggling right now. Adds to the isolation many people might be feeling because honoring those that were lost and trying to create change, Rod, is a key part of the equation. And one of the things I know you've heard too often and here on CGOB is people just assume it's it's not their problem or it's not happening to them or it would never happen in my family. And we know that's not true. It just touches so many corners of our society. It's, it's everywhere. Uh, it's, it, doesn't, it, it doesn't know any boundaries. It crosses social, economic, racial uh, boundaries all the time. So from, you know, your favorite your favorite actor to, you know, the kid who plays hockey on the AAA team down the street. Addiction has touched so many people across the globe that, you know, and it's one degree of separation between addiction and everybody in the, in, in the world. And But what I'm trying to do and what I've tried, tried to do since Gabriel passed is really speak out loud and, you know, end the stigma, you know, make people comfortable to speak out about about a sick loved one and that's that's exactly what it is we see it all the time when you know we have loved ones that are suffering from a terminal disease or a terminal illness people are reaching out we see gofundme pages all the time addiction is a disease people don't choose to be an addict people don't choose to you know to succumb to this to this addiction um and we need to speak about it more. we need we need to make you know, the greater population understand that this is a disease and not a choice. And it is everybody's problem because it, it crosses so many other things. It leads to it leads to property crime, it leads to violence, and ultimately for, for some it leads to death. Rod Batista joining us live on 680 CJOB. Thank you so much for bringing this to our attention that today is International Overdose Awareness Day. Rod, we appreciate everything you do. 
No problem. And um, just to let you guys know, there's uh, a Laxote administration um, clinic or get-together at, at Stephen Juba Park on Waterfront where the um, Gone Too Soon Garden is between 1 and 3. And we're, we're holding a vigil later tonight too as well. Mackling, McGarry, and McNabb, thank you so much for joining us this morning. Keep those text messages coming at 204-780-6868 on the subject of thunderstorms, your thunderstorm stories, because at 9.15, we're going to give away a large two-topping pizza for Santa Lucia. We had that big, loud thunderstorm yesterday. Joanne, for example, says, I was in Gimli yesterday. There was no thunder or lightning there, but when I was a kid, horrible storm and lightning hit our house. My mom and I saw the sparks going down our radio cord, and it blew the radio off the top of the fridge. I think Greg, Greg maybe mentioned this one earlier, but yeah, that's just crazy. All, mm-hmm. She'll always remember the crackling, fizzing, shaking, and smell of the frying cord and radio. So keep your text coming, 204-780-6868. We will award a winner at 9.15. We are... <laughs> this was always my worst, least favorite time of year. We are eight days away from a return to school for children in Manitoba, Greg. That we are, Brett. And tomorrow, teachers and other faculty will begin their in-school preparations for the 2020-2021 school year. Late last week, plans from school divisions as well as individual schools across the province began sharing their plans on how our kids will be attending classes. One of my kids, in fact, uh, will be attending school half days according to their current plan. It'll be all year, grade 9 and 10 Kids will be going in the morning, grade 11 and 12 in the afternoon, and then in the second semester in January, they'll flip that schedule uh, so that uh, my son will then be going to school in the afternoon, Loren, and distance learning in the morning. Lots of scheduling changes in effect for many families. And on Friday, the Louis Riel School Division announced that based on their goal, or the need to have two meters of space between students, they're relocating grade five and six students from a Coal Sage Creek to Shamrock School. So in that case, students are going to be starting the year in a whole different school. Mark Poirier is the principal at a Coal Sage Creek. Good morning, Mark. Good morning. And Christian Michalik is the superintendent of the Louis Riel School Division. Good morning, Christian. Good morning. Good morning, Mark. Good morning. (laughs) Thanks for taking the time, guys. There's lots to discuss here and many moving parts we know. Christian, first of all, is this the only school that's moving students in your division, or are there others that might see this similar change? Uh, Yeah, no, there are others. Uh, Four schools uh, in total. Uh, We have, uh, well, they're all French immersion schools having to move some of their uh, student population to a, a neighboring school, that has room, and uh, you can read all about it on our website. Of course, we've communicated personally with uh, with the uh, staff and uh, families of children impacted by the change. Just to clarify, four schools that are moving to other schools, so eight schools involved in total, or do you mean there's kids moving That's from right, two eight schools? Eight schools involved in total. Okay. Oh, heads up, by the way, just a traffic note that's come in. This is a big one. Truck flipped on its side, northbound Osborne, right in front of the Canada Life Building. Both north and southbound lanes are down to one lane. So again, truck flipped on its side, northbound Osborne, right in front of the Canada Life Building. Both north and southbound lanes are down to one lane. 
So, Mark, uh, how are you managing? Uh, we understand from uh, your literature that you're managing and your goal has been to create two meters of space between students, although the province has said one meter is allowable. That has to be taking up a ton of physical space in your school. Yeah, it's certainly uh, taking more spaces, and that's why we are, we're in the in the school here. We're using some uh, spaces that are not traditionally used as classroom locations, uh, and even with that, uh, we are needing to relocate the grade five six uh, English students to Shamrock School. So, Christian, we were just talking about the idea that you're trying to ensure that two meters. That technically wasn't the requirement of the province. They wanted schools to work towards two meters, but if that wasn't possible, they would allow for one meter of distancing. Uh, so you've gone above and beyond here, So, but as a result, we'll have to move students. Am I reading that correctly? Well, uh, well let me quote from the uh, Manitoba government's plan. Uh, so I'm quoting these words. From, I'm taking these words from the plan. Physical distancing of two meters or six feet between all individuals should occur whenever reasonably possible in a school setting. And so now we're left to interpret the word reasonable. And um, really, I, you know, it's, it's been a reasonable effort. We're, it's, uh, it's, it's, of course, required a lot of creative, strategic thinking and and uh, it's kept us busy um, all summer long uh, in support of our schools. Uh, but um, it, it's, it's been achievable and it's reasonable in my, from my perspective. So, Mark, at your school, uh, you obviously had to make a fairly unprecedented, and there's that word again, uh, move to shuffle two grades of students. How will they be accommodated at, uh, at their new school? So we've been lucky that the administration there has been very welcoming and we've been working together since late last week and, and uh, again we're, we're meeting uh, this week to, to see what we need to do and what they are able to do to help support us. Uh, we are, uh, our board office is, is ensuring that we have the furniture that is required. We're getting computers, etc. So some furniture, some technology. We're going to make sure that uh, the teachers here are able to move all of their resources, materials uh, uh, during the course of this week to ensure that we can uh, get started on early next week. Mark, as far as the moving students from one school to another, what are you hearing from parents on that front? So we've been quite lucky. The majority of our parents have been have been understanding and know that this is a temporary measure and that uh, the school division and the school has done all that we could to uh, to to make the best possible decision in this difficult situation. So we understand that this is difficult for students, for staff and for parents, and we don't want to minimize that. But uh, most people are, uh, we're lucky, most people are focusing on the positives, uh, understanding that the division is doing what, it's, what it could to ensure student safety. That's, that's at the base of all, all of these decisions. Christian, we appreciate it. It's, it's such a challenging time to keep up with the rules and how they might be changing as you go forward. Now there's about eight days, as we said, to that return to school. Some students will be moving to a different school to allow for that physical distancing. Are there any other changes in terms of spaces like daycares? Are, are daycares still able to operate as they are? Or are some of those daycares finding they might have to move kids or bodies to create more space within the school system? 
Uh, no, daycares are, are staying put. Uh, we have some early learning. Uh, so when we say when you say daycare, again, uh, uh, defining words is really important, right? Daycare is, can mean many things. Uh, and so we do have uh, some early years programming also happening in in uh, many of our schools where um, children that aren't yet school age are are in the school for. Uh, a portion of the week for a portion of the day and uh, uh, there is there is one instance where we're working with one provider uh, amongst many uh, to look at relocation so no one is going to lose any space but um, we are talking with one provider about relocating relocating space Christian Michalik is the superintendent of Louis Riel School Division. Mark Poirier is the principal at Ecole Sage Creek, joining us live on 680 CJOV. Gentlemen, thank you very much for your time. Once again, apologies for the technical difficulties with our phones. Thank you. Mackling, McGarry, and McNabb. We got to give away a large two-topping pizza to Santa Lucia, and we have been talking this morning about thunderstorms after that big storm we had yesterday, that loud one. I recorded this outside my dad's. Well, I was actually in the kitchen at my dad's when this happened. Yeah, a cannon blast. How did you put it earlier, Greg? Cannon to the left of them. Cannons to the right of them. (laughs) So you guys have been sharing some amazing stories. Like, listen to this. As an adult, I now quite enjoy thunderstorms, which is a huge 360 from when I was a small child. Back then, I would hide in any closet during such storms, and my mother would run the vacuum to help drown out the thunder, because if not, I would puke my guts out from fear. Imagine that. Uh, No thanks. Uh, Brett, this one seems uh, geared towards you and your connection to T. Kona. That's right. This is from Scott. He says, you may be familiar with St. Michael's Parish Church on Yale at Day Street in T. Kona. In the mid-80s, it was struck by lightning on the cross, and it blew the bricks right out of the steeple and over a block away. The story goes they couldn't match the color of bricks, so a design was incorporated to repair in the repair to help it blend in. Yeah, I like can... a Back to the Future story. Yeah, that's also right. Probably run the DeLorean from there if you had to go back in time. <laughs> they know the exact moment. So now, so now you know. If, if I ever, if you hook up with the, what was Doc's uh, name? Doc Brown. Doc Brown, and he's uh, looking for a lightning strike. You'll know where to go. You'll yeah. know where Saint to set Michael's the uh, digits. Parish Church. That's there right. You go. There's actually a pretty pretty good stretch there too. Or if you really needed to get up to 88 miles per hour, uh, provided oh. there was you know there's no other traffic on the road. Right. You can't just have the the location you need to have the straight line That's good point right. brett for yeah. the scenario great yeah and but here's the winning text <laughs> uh, we're also going to sleep so much better tonight right. knowing that Just we've got case. the straight stretch That's there right. along with the lightning strike yes. to get us to 88 yep. miles per hour that's right and a, and a, a vehicle that can get you to 88 <laughs> miles per hour and of course a vehicle that's retrofitted uh with a flux capacitor you know and, what and you need some plutonium but other than that we're set <laughs> Ah, Val, Greg, and you read this earlier, but Val sent us a wonderful, amazing, scary story, a harrowing story, as it were. (laughs) Years ago, I was playing softball in a women's industrial league. We were playing a game when a line of dark clouds was approaching us. The sun was still shining where we were, but the line of clouds was ominous. I was playing left field and I felt my hair stand up. Yes, stand up. Called time. 
from the left field. The ump called time. I ran in, told the ump and the other team what happened. And I said, uh, no, I, I, I'm not playing anymore. And uh, sat down. They replaced me with another player in left field. And the game went on. When everyone was in position, the ump called play ball just as he did that a bolt of lightning hit the ground between first and second base we all ran for shelter yes the game was canceled and i will bet that um never let a game go like that again in his career vandalism of our history that is what alberta premier jason kenney is calling the toppling of a statue of John A. Macdonald. Yes, Saturday's toppling, defacing a, of a statue of Canada's first uh, prime minister continues to have people talking. Happened in Montreal, where police confirmed that the statue of Sir John A. Macdonald was unbolted, pulled down and sprayed with graffiti. Its head disconnected from its body in the process. Mike, positive of Global News reports from Kingston, Ontario, and that's not Mike's last name at all. Sir John A. Macdonald stands in Kingston City Park at the corner of King Street East and West Street. The bronze statue was erected in 1895. The town of Picton also has a statue of Sir John. It's located on Main Street next to the library. It's called Sir John A. Macdonald Holding Court. It was installed and unveiled in 2015. Now, both of the municipalities have been forced to reconsider the legacy of Canada's first prime minister. Protesters point to McDonald's poor treatment of Indigenous and Chinese Canadians in building the nation. As for Saturday's Montreal incident... I certainly welcome a healthy debate, discussion, uh, differing points of view. But when it comes to vandalism, that, that's where you, you, you draw a clear line there, that there's no place for that. It's not acceptable. And quite frankly, it turns more people off. When it comes to Kingston's statue of the old chieftain, Patterson continues to say it's a case of addition, not subtraction. We heard very clearly from the community that uh, the statue should not come down and we're not going to take it down. But what we are going to do is we're going to rewrite the plaques at the statue in a couple of other locations. We're going to talk about not just the good, but the bad of McDonald's legacy. And I think that that's the way forward. That's how you learn from history. You add to it. You don't take away from it. Meanwhile, Winnipeg author David Robertson has something to say about what happened in Montreal and what the mayor of Kingston had to say. Good morning, David. Good morning. How are you guys doing over there? Always doing well. We appreciate you taking time with us. As an author, it's fair to say words are an important part of your life. What do you think of the mayor of Kingston's comments on adding to history versus uh, subtracting from it by by taking a statue down like one of Sir John A. Macdonald? Well, he talks a lot about legacy there. He talks a lot about, um, yeah, subtracting from history. I don't think removing a statue does any of that. Um, you know, whatever he did um taking down a statue of him does not take it away does not negate history it uh, i think it actually forces people to recontextualize what our history is in this country and to have a conversation about it uh, but you know a statue is there to honor somebody and I, I just don't think that the actions of our first prime minister is something that should be honored um and i think that that what i have seen from canadians more and more is that as they begin to learn history, the true history of this country, um, I, I, don't, I think that a lot of Canadians don't want to see as well uh, monuments to a man who perpetrated cultural genocide. Um, and so I, I, I respectfully disagree. I think that if they're not willing to take down these statues, um, then 
I, I have no problem seeing it topple to the ground. It's one thing to you know to to disagree. You know, we all have opinions that we agree with or disagree with. But some, t- but in order to then weigh in, that can that's a different thing. So, what prompted you to decide? You know what? I'm going to weigh in on this. Well, as, as you know, Brett, like I, I, I'm very careful with when I actually want to you know speak out and uh, on Twitter. Um, but I, I see something like that. And, and being someone whose grandmother went to residential school, who has that, um, you know, intergenerational trauma in my family, um, who, who knows, you know, the history that uh, and how it's impacted countless Indigenous people uh, over the course of the history of the residential school system in particular. And, that's, and now, keep in mind, that's not the only thing that he did to Indigenous people. But since 1883, I mean, you know, really, it, 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 it upset me to see someone like uh, Aaron O'Toole you know, talk about how this is defacing history. I mean, uh, if we're going to talk about right and wrong, then let's let's talk about what this man did. You know, it wasn't just the residential school system. It was intentionally starving First Nations people to make room for a railroad. It was putting a, a tax on Chinese immigrants so that they could not dilute the Aryan population in Canada. I mean, these are the words of a racist. And these are the words of someone who, who started a system of cultural genocide in Canada. And I don't think we should have statues of him. The Party of Canada, he tweeted, Canada wouldn't exist without Sir John A. Macdonald. Canada is a great country and one we should be proud of. We will not build a better future by defacing our past. And then O'Toole added, it's time politicians grow a backbone and stand up for our country. And, and that's how some Canadians do feel about it. David, that it's about standing up for the leaders. You're trying to point out the other side that I think maybe many Canadians don't know about. You're looking at a man who is on our on our money and in, uh, in our school books, and we name streets and schools after him. And perhaps we don't understand it all. You talked about context. Where should we be adding this context then in our conversation? Does it start at the school level? Yeah, I mean, definitely. I, I, you know, I think we see that more and more over the last. Let, 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 you know, one of the things I think I see a lot about is. We're erasing history by taking down these statues. Um, indigenous peoples were erased from history for over a century. So, you know, let's, let's not talk about the irony of the statement of erasing history. Um, we need to start talking about in schools the true history of this country. And, not, and, and yes, I mean, listen, th- this man was responsible for the Confederation of Canada. I understand that. Um, but, and I'm proud to be Canadian. But I also know that there is a lot of things that have happened in this country that we shouldn't be proud about, that we um, need to look ourselves in the mirror and say, you know, we need to understand where we have been. Um, we need to understand where we are now and where we want to be as Canadians. And I, and I think that um, recontextualizing um, monuments, schools, whatever it might be that are named after Johnny McDonald, um, I think is an important process to go through. Now, Talk about backbone. As a as a politician, I think they need to have the backbone to reconsider their admiration for this man. Um, I went to a school and spoke at Johnny McDonald's school in Canada, and they were embarrassed to have that name in their school. They apologized to me before I went in to speak, uh, and I think that says a lot. So how do we approach this, David? How do we take the appropriate measures uh, and, once again, uh, recontextualize history versus rewriting it? Because rewriting it is, uh, 
is something that we associate with uh, different types of governments and, and the way uh, certain people would like to rewrite history for their own benefit. I don't think you're talking about that. I think you're talking about making sure we know the whole story, the entire story, and, and, and move on with that knowledge. Absolutely. I would never say that we need to rewrite history to better suit what I want history to be. That, that's been done already. You know, um, you know, white nationalists like Johnny McDonald did that already. Um, I want the, the real history of this country discussed. And then that includes all of its warts and all of the good things about it. Um, and until we start doing that and, and, and acknowledging what has been done and what is, what is still being done today, then we're not making progress. Now, at the same breath, I think we are making progress as a country, especially in the school system. But we have a lot of work left to do. And unless we're addressing things like, you know, if we're not going to take down that statue, um, then then let's let's take down those plaques and rewrite all those plaques and talk about everything that this man did. Because if, if it wasn't for him, there would be thousands of Indigenous children and Indigenous adults alive over the course of the cent- or the course of the last 150 years of this country, and that's a fact. Are there any other statues you'd like to see come down? Well, I mean, show me some statues. You know, <laughs> I tell you, you know, I don't know. I mean, listen, like uh, to me, statues are there to honor heroes, right? And and I and so we have a statue of Lou Riel in this in this in this city. There's a hero. He's a hero. Now, the man who um, supported the um, execution of Louis Riel, despite the fact that people in that court um, wanted to dissuade him from executing Louis Riel, um, that man is not a hero. There are some who would disagree with your notion of Louis Riel as a, as a hero, David. You know that. I don't need to bring that to your attention. Well, I mean, listen, here's a guy who was brought in. He was in exile in the United States. He was brought in because, um, as usual, you know, at that time, the government was pushing west and trying to reclaim land that wasn't theirs. And they fought against that. And to me, now, everyone is entitled to their own opinion, informed opinion. You know, Um, if they have the knowledge of what happened during, for example, we're talking about here the Northwest Rebellion. And they still think that Luriel is someone who shouldn't be, um, you know, honored. Then I can't, I can't make them do, make them honor him. To me, he is someone who uh, I honor, and I, I respect what he did. I respect what what Gabriel Dumont did, um, and and I think that standing up against people who are doing wrong and trying to do what's right is a heroic act in any small way. David Robertson joining us live on 680 CJOB. Mr. Robertson, thank you so much for your time as always. We appreciate it, sir. Thank you all for having me. It was really good to talk to you again, as always. Hey, thanks for listening to The Start Podcast. We are available on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, wherever you find your favorite podcasts. Subscribe now and never miss an episode. And if you like what you hear, rate the show, tell us what you think. 
And hey, even tell a friend about the podcast. Be sure to follow us on Twitter and Instagram. Greg is at GMACWPG. That's G-M-A-C-K-W-P-G. I am at Brett McGarry, B-R-E-T-T-M-E-G-A-R-R-Y. And Loren on Twitter is at McNab on Global and on Instagram at McNab on CJOB. Talk soon.